Good morning. I am, uh, I am honestly thrilled to be here. I am honored to have the opportunity to just worship with you. I was here last week and singing God's praises and, and hearing uh, uh, the phenomenal, clear teaching of God's word and, uh, and know that I stand here this morning grateful. I'm grateful that we get to sing great truths that we just got to sing in one voice together that we get to celebrate the power of the gospel together. And I stand here not as an expert, but as a redeemed sinner who feels the weight of teaching the inerrant, inspired, and sufficient word of God to you. And every time I have the opportunity to do this, I want you to know that I preach to myself first because I need this as much as anyone else. And um, and I'm just grateful. I'm grateful for the ministry that's here. And uh, I feel like I could go on forever about my respect, love, and admiration for Darren and his family. And I was thinking about this uh, this week as I was just uh, pondering God's work here in Mount Air. And uh, it's funny about, I don't know, Darren, how many years ago were we sitting at the picnic tables in the square and we pointed to this church and we said, what does God want to do in Mount Air through that church, through Mount Air Community Church? And I looked at Darren and I said, maybe you should go there. <laughs> and I, and I, that's a true story. About eight years ago. And I look at Darren preaching and leading, and, and it's not about Darren, it's about Jesus and about what God's doing, but that is a direct answer to prayer that the grave is empty. He is still alive. God is still moving. Jesus Christ is building his church right here in Mount Air, Iowa. That is amazing to me. And so to be any part of that is incredibly humbling. It hit me this year, too. I realize I'm getting older. I, I've turned 41. I've got a high schooler now. I've got teenagers now. Uh, like Realizing that, man, I'm not going to be perpetually 21 years old anymore. And now I'm trying to work out with my 15-year-old son in the gym. And let me tell you, he recovers a lot faster than I, re than I think I still can. Uh, but it hit me this year. I've been coming to Mount Air for 18 years. And this has become a home for me. This has become a home for my family and I. Uh, I'm married to Tara Groves, who was born and raised here. And uh, this is such a special place to me and my family. And so I hope you know what a wonderful community you live in. And I hope you're encouraged by the fact that God is active and moving among you. And I remember uh, a number of years ago, I've been in full-time ministry now for 17 years. I pastor currently in Buffalo, or outside of Buffalo, New York, in a church called Restoration, as Darren shared. And in 2005, I was in India, and I was working with a ministry that started new churches and that cared for orphans and that had a Bible college in the Andhra Pradesh province right on the Bay of Bengal. And I spent uh, about two weeks there going through the region and encouraging pastors and training pastors and working with children and just hearing what God is doing through this organization called Vision Nationals. And on our last night there, the founder of this ministry, Arjuna Shigaleri, brought us to this property that was right next to his campus. And he said, let's pray that God will provide the means for us to own this property so that we can build another building or two, so that we can house more orphans, 
more people go into uh, the Bible college to gain education here. And so there we were standing in this field, holding hands under the moonlight and, and beginning to pray. And as we were praying, college students that attended the Bible college were on another part of the campus and they were having a worship service. And I started to hear the echoes of these Indian college students singing praises to God. And I heard the word hallelujah, hallelujah, echoing through this campus. And I remember being overwhelmed with the magnitude of God's plan. Here I was 10,000 miles away from my home with people who were completely different from me but yet had been redeemed by the same God that redeemed me when I lived in West Michigan years before. And for the first time, I began to understand God was writing a bigger story than I had ever realized. And I knew in that moment that everything in my life was going to change going forward. I didn't understand what that would all mean I didn't even really know what that full story was. And the sad thing was I was a pastor at the time. But I knew it was there. And this caused me to see the message of the gospel. To see this thing called the church and our mission in a much more serious and yet joyful way. And the weight of it was profound. Which meant that God behind it all was on a scale that I could not possibly fathom. And so as we look this morning in the book of Ephesians, we're going to spend our time in Ephesians chapter 3. This is what the book of Ephesians is about. This is really what the whole Bible is about. It's about helping us understand this gigantic God who does not need us, who is in himself entirely self-existent, if, if you've ever heard the story that God created humans because he was lonely, that is a bad theology. God was not lonely. God was perfect, entirely self-sufficient, but yet in his mercy, love, and grace, he created things. And so the Bible first helps us by God's grace to know this God, but secondly, to understand this really big story that God is doing and how each of us should live in light of it. And I pray that as we study this today, that all of us in this room can have a growing gratitude toward this God, that we can have a deepening understanding of the magnitude of what he's doing and a more profound sense of wonder at his power, his wisdom, his grace, and that he's a king over it all. So today, as we look at Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13, before I read it, I just want to give a little bit of background to what's going on in Ephesians so that this text kind of makes sense to us. So first, Ephesians was written by the Apostle Paul. He was an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he wrote the letter to the church of Ephesus, which was a major city uh, in the early Roman Empire. And this letter was also meant to be 
passed out to the surrounding churches around Ephesus. That's what they would do. They would write a letter to the church. The church would read it, and then they would pass it to the other churches in the region. And Paul most likely wrote this book from prison in Rome somewhere between 60 and 62 A.D., and he begins his letter by praising God for the blessing of being saved by Jesus. The opening of this book has almost a, a hymn-like quality to it. Paul praised God for how in Christ the church has been chosen by God. The church has been adopted back to be his children. And that they are deeply loved and have had great I love the word that it uses, lavished on them. Paul celebrated how God's people are sealed by the Holy Spirit to receive an incredible blessing of promise that we will be with God forever, that we are with God in this life and we have the hope of being with God in the next. And this sealing means that that the choosing of God, the love of God, and the grace of God cannot be taken away. The salvation of the church is complete and yet still awaiting to be finalized. Paul then spills over into this meaningful prayer at the end of chapter 1, where he prays that God would deeply know, or that, that uh, prays that the people of God would deeply know the God who saved them. In an ongoing and ever-increasing way, living with an active awareness of hope, living with an active awareness of our value in Christ, and that we would have an active awareness of the incredible power that's been directed toward the, toward the church in Christ. And that this power that is directed towards the church is tethered to the very resurrection of Jesus. And his supremacy over death, over every ruler, over every authority, and over every name for all time. And then he moves on to chapter 2, where he begins to unfold this gospel and what it means for the church. And he begins to talk about what the nature, what this church is made up of. And we first and foremost see that the church is made up of a people who have been saved by grace. Oh, this is a message I pray more, more and more of us can understand that, with, that, that, that it is not by what you do to earn favor with God. It is about what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. I read a quote recently by a famous English preacher who said, if you, do, if you think that you deserve God's forgiveness, you have not understood the gospel. Because the gospel tells us none of us deserve God's forgiveness. The, God, the Bible tells us that all of us stand guilty before God. No matter how good you may seem to the person next to you, you are not going to be judged according to the person next to you. You will be judged according to Jesus Christ. And it will be you and Christ before the Father. And the Bible says that we all stand guilty. But yet, God in his rich mercy offered his son Jesus to die on a cross on our behalf so that it is by grace we are saved, not by our own efforts. 
And so the church does not come with our own meager gifts to go, look, I was a nice guy. Look, I was a nice person. Look, I, I didn't steal from it. No, no, no. We come and say, I only appeal to Jesus. We are a people of grace. Secondly, we see that the church then, because of the work of Christ, is marked by peace. Peace with one another and peace with God. That ultimately what God has done in Christ through this people of grace, through these people who are marked by peace, is he has created one new, one new man. He has taken Jews and Gentiles. He has taken people from every ethnic background, people from every socioeconomic background. He has taken men and women and brought them all together under Christ and said, I am making one new humanity called the church. And the church who are saved by grace and marked by peace, that what we see in the end of Ephesians 2 is the masterpiece of God in the world. It is his greatest created work. The church. And because of Christ's death on the cross, because of his resurrection from the grave and ascension into heaven, men, women, and children from every background, nation, and color are saved by the same grace. We receive a new nature, and together, oh, this is the good news of the gospel, we are brought near to God. The bold statement that Paul makes at the end of Ephesians 2 when he says, we through the Spirit have access to God the Father. I can't even get in to see the mayor of my city. But because of Jesus, I have access to the God of the universe. And what brings us together is not politics. It's not a musical taste. Darren and I were just debating musical tastes right before the service. Pastors do holy things before services. It's not a cause. It's not a three-day festival. It's not a protest. It's not a sports team. It is God himself who first made peace with us through the cross. And it is from peace with God that we can have peace with one another. I was recently at a concert a couple of years ago. I went to go see the band U2 with my wife. And there were tens of thousands of people there. They came together because of a shared love and admiration for U2's music. And we sang songs, we cheered, and we all experienced the whole event together. But as great and unifying as that one concert was, it only lasted for about three hours. As powerful as that music was, as influential as a band can be, it only goes so far. And at the end of it, we all went back to our lives. We all went back to our hometowns. We honked at each other as we tried to leave in a hurry. And outside the realm of that band, none of us really had much in common. But in contrast, God's ability to unite a people from all backgrounds, nations, and ethnicities is beyond compare because his kingdom has no end. He is not relegated to a few five-minute songs or three-hour concerts. He is the everlasting God. He is the creator of all things, including us. When the church is united in Christ, chapter 2, and we will see in chapter 3, tells its effects are all-encompassing and permanent. 
Because that's who God is. He is the all-consuming fire who is the ancient of days, whose kingdom has no end. So Paul continues this incredible teaching in chapter 3 by showing us how this has been God's plan from the beginning and that he has a grand purpose for doing it. A purpose that puts his power and his glory and his wisdom on display for a gigantic audience that is watching very intently with what God's doing in the world. So let's turn now, if you have your Bibles, to read Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. This is the word of God. For this reason, I, Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, on behalf of you Gentiles, assuming that you've heard of the stewardship of God's grace that was given to me for you, how the mystery was made known to me by revelation, as I have written briefly, when you read this, you can perceive my insights, my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to the sons of men in other generations, as it has now been revealed to his holy apostles and prophets by the Spirit. This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the same promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the grace or to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. Verse 8. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have bold access, or have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. So I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. In verse 1 of chapter 3, after writing about God's grace and bringing new life to those who were dead in their sins and how God has brought together Jews and Gentiles, we see Paul begins to pray. However, he interrupts himself to talk about his calling and authority in the matters he's written about. He'll pick up his prayer again in verse 14, but that's for another sermon. In verses 2 through 5, Paul shows us that the message he has been teaching has been revealed to him by God. And he has been sent by God to share this message with the Gentile world. Now, here's what that means. From Paul's perspective, he was a Jewish man, and there was basically two divisions in the world. There were Jews and there were Gentiles. From a Jewish perspective, the Jews were the ones that were the people of God. They were the ones that had the promises of God. They were the ones that had the great works of God. They were the ones that, uh, that God protected. They were near to God. And then there was everybody else. That's basically us. So Paul is saying, God has called me to take this message of the gospel and to bring it to the Gentile world. 
And Paul calls this message a mystery. But please, don't think of this word as we would a Sherlock Holmes case, where there are clues that we must put together on our own, and that God is hoping against hope that you'll find the, 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 the unlock the message to have eternal life. Instead, the word mystery here is better understood as a secret, and that secret has been revealed in Christ by the Holy Spirit. There are two aspects which I believe are important for us to understand. Number one is this. The message of the gospel is not a man-made idea. Let that sit with you for just a minute. The message of the gospel is not a man-made idea. Paul is very clear here. The rest of the scriptures, Genesis to Revelation, make this very clear. God has revealed it. It was in keeping with how God revealed the exact same message to the other apostles. See, Paul is taking no credit for his content. He is not building a name for himself. He says that this mystery was made known by revelation. What does that mean? It Christ himself, after he is resurrected from the grave, appeared to Paul and said, here's my message. Paul directly heard the message from Jesus after his resurrection. And then we read in Galatians, for example, how Paul then went to the other 11 apostles and said, here's the message I'm preaching that was given to me by Christ. And the other apostles who lived with Jesus, who walked with Jesus, who, who saw the resurrected Jesus too, went, yeah, that's the exact same message we're preaching. Keep, keep doing that. Paul was not alone in what he had been saying. God had given him this mystery, this secret, and it was revealed to the other apostles and the prophets, eyewitnesses of the resurrected Jesus. The gospel message was revealed by God himself. And what we read, what we read is written by those eyewitness accounts. There is this word, this phrase, that I think it's important for us to understand when we talk about this idea of the gospel. And that is, we stand on what is called apostolic authority. Apostolic authority. It means we, and what that means is, see, our faith rests on Christ. Christ has entrusted his message to his apostles. Eyewitnesses to the resurrection. They were inspired to preach, teach, and to write down this mystery under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And it's on those scriptures that the church of Jesus stands on. It is on those scriptures that we submit our lives to. We do not have the, 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 the freedom to claim our own authority. We do not have the freedom to make this message what we hope it to be or what we want it to be. We, Christianity is a historic, confessional Christianity. We have doctrinal statements. We have historic things we stand on, and that history rests on eyewitness accounts. It's incredible. And Paul is saying, this is the treasure that I have been entrusted to share. And because it's God's message, it has supreme authority and divine weight. 
Do you find yourself as someone who approaches the scriptures in this manner? That this is the revealed word of God that is the very truth of God, that reveals the heart of God, that reveals the Savior of God, that reveals the commands of God? And do we approach it going in humble submission and in awe, or do we approach it as if this book should serve our needs? Because if it is God's word, then we must approach it with awe and humility. Do our lives show that we truly believe this and pursue it more than any other earthly treasure? Do we seek God daily through his word, build our lives on it, and allow it to develop wisdom in us? Oh, I pray for you and me that this book would not sit cold on a shelf, but that it would be opened daily. Daily, so that we allow God to feed our souls and teach us who he is. If this is truly God's revealed word to us through eyewitness accounts, it must be approached and valued differently than any other book. If you are here and do not believe the Bible is God's word, I understand the controversial nature of what you're hearing. Please understand, we don't take this claim blindly. There is more than enough evidence to show that the scriptures are a reliable source of, inform of, God's, uh, of information and that it is God's word. And here is one tiny little piece of it. Paul is not seeking his own power and fame. In fact, Paul suffered greatly for this. There was no conspiratorial meeting to hammer out the content of the gospel. There was no, these apostles were not trying to seek world dominance. They all died for the message they wrote or suffered greatly. This may not be enough to convince you, but I hope it's enough for at least for you to understand that our claim about this being the word of God is not completely baseless. The second aspect that I think it's important for us to understand, not only is the message of the gospel not a man-made idea, but number two, that God's plan has always been to redeem a people for himself through Jesus Christ. God's plan has always been to redeem a people back to himself through Jesus Christ. How he would accomplish it and who would be included is the secret that has now been revealed. Throughout the Old Testament, we see hints of this, reaching all the way back to Genesis 1, when God tells Adam and Eve, fill the earth and subdue it with image bearers of me who know me and worship me. We see it uh, uh, as, as we catch a glimpse in, in, in Genesis chapter 12, when God calls Abram, I believe you're going to talk about this here pretty soon, and God plants a seed with Abram that says, I'm going to create a people through you. And oh, by the way, through this family, through this people, the whole world's going to be blessed. These are all seeds. Time does not permit me to walk through the whole scriptures, but I think there are two compelling things to help us understand this. Number one, in Luke 24, Jesus, after his resurrection, shows two men on the road to Emmaus and his disciples teaching through the entire scriptures how it all points to him. In John chapter 5, Jesus tells the teachers of the law that they searched the scriptures, but they did not understand how they all pointed to Jesus. And therefore, they missed the whole point. 
See, God's eyes have always been on the nation, has always been to bring a people back to himself. And now God shows that his plan from the beginning was to send Jesus Christ to be the savior of the world, that any and all who believe in him will have peace with God and peace with one another, even Gentiles. Verse 6, Paul says, This mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. See, the Jews thought they were the only people of God, and that everyone else who was not Jewish were out. But here we see that God is the God of all humanity. He has erased the lines of distinction in Jesus. In him, a new people is formed, which is the church. And together, we jointly share in the eternal promises of Jesus. This secret has been revealed. God's plan has always been to redeem a people for himself from the nations through Jesus Christ. And God's vehicle to do this, we read in verses 7 and 8, where Paul says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to me to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. See, God's vehicle that he is going to use is through his people to see the gospel message preached to the world. See, Jesus is an unsearchable treasure. The depth of his work on the cross is equally unsearchable. Just think about what the scriptures teach about Jesus. He is the visible image of the invisible God. He is God's only begotten son who is the head and peacemaker of all things. He is the king of his people. He holds all things together by the word of his power. The only one who can bring mankind together and present them holy and united. In Christ, the love of God is expressed in his death the cross for the sin of his people. In him we can have hope of eternal life because of his resurrection from the dead. If we are united with him in death, we are also united with him in life. In him we are dead to sin and alive to God. And Paul writes, he has been given the grace to preach these unsearchable riches. And it is on the preaching of them, on the preaching of Christ, that God builds his kingdom. The secret has been revealed. And the same mission that Paul has is the same mission we all have as his people. This is why Mount Air Community Church exists in Mount Air on the southwest corner of that square to be a part of God's redemptive plan to declare from this corner to every corner of Ringgold County, Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world. This church does not exist for itself, just like my church in Amherst, New York, does not exist for itself. We exist to help every man, woman, and child in our home to hear, see, and respond to the gospel. And through that, God will build his church. But why? Why does God do it this way? Paul gives us the answer. He tells us not only was he called to preach the unsearchable riches of Christ, but also to teach 
the plan of the plan is. The purpose of building the church on the person of Christ. And it's simply and profoundly this. God's plan is to display his wisdom through the church to be seen by a large audience. Look at what he says. And to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden in ages, hidden for ages in God who created all things, verse 10, so that through the church the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. God uses the preaching of Christ through which he builds the church to show the wisdom in redeeming and restoring a people back to himself who were cut off due to sin. In Christ, he is glorified. In the building of the church, he is glorified. And it is all being played out on a cosmic stage. It is all being watched by heavenly beings. Angels in heaven, demons in hell. And make no mistake about it, every single person in your life is watching you. Every single person in Ringgold County is watching the church, whether they know it or not. We read, for example, in 1 Peter, how the angels in heaven long to look into the gospel. They look into it intently and in awe. The angels in heaven look and marvel at God's power and wisdom to redeem a fallen people who were dead in their sins. And in their new life, they sing praises to God unceasingly because only God can bring life from death. And in the same way, the demons look on and shudder at the display of God's power in our redemption and unity. They shudder at Christ's death and resurrection, for now they know the fate of their damnation is sealed. They know all is lost. They know there's nothing they can do, but seek to, to inflict as much damage as possible until the end comes. And all the people around us on a global scale Watch the church of Christ intently. Your, your mothers, your fathers, your friends, your co-workers. They watch the gospel on display through your life. As my mentor Dwight Smith says, God is painting a beautiful picture of God's grace on the canvas of time to be marveled at by all. And every single person that has been saved in Christ is a brushstroke of grace on that canvas. The manifold wisdom of God is a beautiful display because what does that mean? Manifold means multi-layered, multi-colored. And the same grace has saved every one of God's people. The same death, the same blood. But here's what it means. It means his grace looks a little different in your life than mine. Your story is a little different than mine. But we're all saved by the same grace. And you see a full picture of redemption. In Christ, this is what you have been included in. See, salvation is not just about you and I finding our inner peace. It's not just about the salvation of our own souls. Ooh, we can make the church all about us. It's not less than for sure, but being a part of the church is so much more than just finding a nice group of people we connect with. 
It's about being included into what God is doing in all of history. It's about being a part of a holy nation, a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a people for his own possession that stands out for all to see the eternal praise of God, the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. And Paul is letting us in on this gigantic vision for the church. It is through all of his people that he will accomplish his purposes in the world, individually and collectively. Oh, your life in Christ has such significance. God's building of his kingdom is not just through paid professionals. It is not just through dynamic communicators that write books and speak on large stages. I've been to 12 different nations around this world, many of which are in persecuted countries, and the church is built off ordinary followers of Jesus who allow the extraordinary grace of God to infuse them where they work, where they live, where they play, how they parent, how they are children. And it is on the backs of those people God builds his church. It was really this reality that I began to grasp while praying in that field in India. Do you grasp the significance of it all? Is this just some little cute book that you want your kids to know, but it makes no bearing on your own life? If so, I will humbly and politely say you're deceived. Do you grasp the significance and importance of the gospel message for your life? If you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ and been baptized, what are you basing your salvation on before God? Because what the scriptures tell us is that all of that you're basing your life on is going to burn up before God and you will forever be cast in hell. But if your appeal is only Christ, that you can sing the song, Hallelujah, what a Savior. And you are a child of God. And then does that compel you to see the world around you? Because the secret is, people that don't know Christ, they're not okay, no matter how nice they are. I grew up in the Midwest. We are filled with a lot of nice people that you can leave your car unlocked and they won't steal it. They can watch your home and they won't steal anything. They will take care for you. But we can be so blinded by our own goodness that we miss that we need the perfect Christ. And God has called this church to be a part of sharing that message with them. How does all of this affect the way you see the significance in your own life as a follower of Jesus? It is not just Darren's job to share the gospel message in Mount Air. It is our job to share the gospel message in Mount Air or wherever our feet may trod. And this is a question we ask ourselves in Buffalo all the time. How does this affect the decisions we make as a church? Are we a church that wants to be a part of what God is doing in the world and make decisions that are hard, make decisions that may feel a little uncomfortable because we want to be a part of what God is doing in the world that he's already revealed to us, or do we just want to play it safe? 
be a nice little church that people can find some nice, fun little things to be a part of, and in the end, really make no eternal difference. Oh, I pray for my own church, my own life. I pray for Mount Air Community Church and your life, that together, together, we can be a part of preaching the unsearchable riches of Christ to every man, every woman, and every child in our homes and beyond. Let's pray. Father, we come to you in the name of your son, Jesus, and we are so grateful for your grace. We are grateful for the power of the gospel. We are grateful that we, God, can be included in what you're doing in the world. God, give us the, 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 the faith and the boldness to be a part of what you're doing. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.